The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Bootleg Football Podcast, post-NFL Draft Edition. Finally, the NFL Draft is in the rearview mirror, which means it is time to break it down division by division, team by team, and kind of look at what are our favorite draft classes, what are maybe some of our not-so-favorite draft classes, uh, and we're going to be using a whole lot of episodes and really doing a deep dive into each individual division uh, we're not going to be glossing over any picks here. We're going to be going through each and every one. It's going to take a while, but, uh, you know, in these days, there's not really much else to do. So uh, with that, I'm going to bring in my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. First things first, EJ, let's get your thoughts on the draft. And of course, what are you drinking? Well, they're related tonight, so we're in good stead. I have a Guinness draft stout in a can because it was just terribly appropriate, but I'm, I'm excited. The draft has come and gone. We did a ton of live streaming on the bootleg football channel on YouTube, had a really great fan interaction uh, from all over the globe, people from all kinds of countries, people staying up till wee hours of the morning in Europe, following us, all kinds of just crazy stuff. Great questions from smart fans. And now we've got a bunch of new players on every team. We can see sort of, who did the best or who did the worst in terms of what we think about for value. Of course, that's going to come true or not true in two to three years. These aren't grades necessarily. This is just with what we know about these players now on the board, who did a good job of manipulating the board and filling up their team and filling up their needs and who maybe eh, could have done a little bit better. So uh, what are you drinking? I'm going to open mine. I I got old reliable with me today. Buffalo trace. Uh, I, I was not sure yeah, that's a nice that's a nice can sound right there. Oh, come on. That, we got the, the nitro cartridge inside. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I judge beer based on the aggressiveness of can opening sounds, and I judge whiskey sometimes on a cork sound. It, 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 there's there's <laughs> something, something like auditory response that just makes my mouth water when I hear a good cork. Uh, speaking of good corks, Buffalo Trace, excellent cork sound has nothing to do with the nose of the flavor profile, but when you pop that thing open, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to have a good night tonight. And it's just old reliable. It's, it's one of those bourbons. It's like 20, 25 bucks, but it, it tastes way more. It, it tastes like something that's way more expensive. It is perfectly balanced. 
you get all the like the familiar bourbon notes, the vanilla, the butterscotch, a little bit of barrel spice on the back end. It's wonderful. Cannot speak highly enough of Buffalo Trace. I wanted something that I could sip for a long time because I have no idea how long this is going to take. Never done it. <laughs> I never have done a division recap episode. I know you've done plenty. No, uh, I have a pretty good idea of how long it's going to take between you and I because if if you take the under on any of our podcast estimates, you're going to lose money. Yeah, we. I promise, guys, we're trying to keep them under an hour, but there's a lot to talk about. Can you blame us? Just <laughs> so many good players. There's no sports. Here. We got to talk about football. Uh, we are going to start out with a, a team that's kind of near and dear to both of our hearts to varying degrees. Um, you are a unabashed Bears fan. I am a closet Bears fan, and I, I certainly pay attention to the Bears to take a break from the Texans breaking my heart. And usually that doesn't go very well for me. <laughs> I was going to say that uh, might not be the best niche. Yeah. For them to I, fill. I'm a horrible bandwagon fan. I just, I jump from one bandwagon to one that's even lower. So <laughs> it's not, not great decision-making on my part. But I know it's lower than the Texans. Let's, let's go easy on the bears. That's we're, that's we're both I'm, stuck on the side of the road. I'll just say yeah, that. them are, them are fighting words, but we won't fight. <laughs> we won't fight now. We got a podcast to do. Uh, yeah, there, there were some controversial Bears picks, and I'll, I'll let you take the lead on Cole Komet. Um, I, I think we both kind of think the same thing, though. Like, good player, bad value. Yeah, it wasn't my favorite pick. And again, we need to separate the two things, because people will automatically say, oh, he doesn't like Cole Komet. That's not true. I think Cole Komet's a good, solid tight end. I think he will contribute in the Bears scheme. There is none of this is Cole Komet is worthless or Cole Komet is bad at football. Those aren't true. He was generally regarded as TE1 in this draft. And, you know, even on varying lists, he was maybe no lower than TE3 or 4. That wasn't a super strong tight end class. So that's where people get confused is they're like, hey, they got the top tight end at pick 43. Why is that bad? And it's not bad. There's nothing wrong with it. But the Bears had bigger needs, and I think there were better players available in terms of Ryan Pace always says, I'm going to take the best player on the board. And then he doesn't do that. And that's fine. We know that. But if you're going to stick to that in any sort of a way, it's very difficult to defend the Cole Komet selection with who was still on the board and what value that pick had. Now, everybody knows that certainly listens to bootleg that my preference was for the Bears to trade down. I don't know that they had that option in this draft because there were a lot of good players left on the board and teams can just sit back and say, why do I need to give you a pick? I'm going to get one of the guys I want anyways if I just stay here because there was a wide middle in the second round. A lot of starters in the second round, I think. And the Bears wanted a good tight end and they thought Komet was the best and they picked him. I'm not really going to go up and down about that, but I was disappointed because there were other players on the board, specifically Antoine Winfield Jr. and Denzel Mims. Both of those players I had rated more highly than Cole Komet, and I think you could have got a decent tight end later, and I'm not talking about pick 50. Um, we'll talk about pick 50 in a, in a second. That was their second pick in the second round. Um, but if they'd come out of the second round with, say, Antoine Winfield Jr. and then stayed with Jalen Johnson, we'll talk about him in a minute, I'd, I'd be much happier with the round. People say, well, what about the tight end position? The bottom line is the Bears have 10 tight ends on the roster. None of them are transcendent. Um, if they got a really good talent like O.J. Howard or something, he's going to come in and be tight end number one, right? They've got Jimmy Graham. Uh, Shaheen's probably gone. They already released Trey Burton. There's a lot of young guys that I'm hopeful about, like Jesper Horstead, J.P. Holt. Again, they're not going to push any high-quality tight ends off the roster. So Komet's got a good path to starting. That's always nice. 
for a guy you pick at 43. But again, it's the value. What did they, it's the opportunity cost of what did they lose out on by picking a guy like Cole Komet up high at 43 as opposed to blank? That's nothing against Komet. It's just a statement on draft value. And people have trouble separating the two. Yeah, Winfield is one of the ones that hurts the most because uh, he was sitting right there. Uh, Ashton Davis, I can understand why Ashton Davis fell because of medical. Uh, like he's fine, supposedly. It's just teams couldn't bring him in for medical rechecks because of everything going on right now. So if you're not able to do a medical recheck after the combine and your own doctors can't examine, like I, I understand why he fell. Um, Christian Bolton was there, who I thought would have been a – perfect replacement for Prince Mukamara, like absolutely perfect replacement. I mean, Zach Vaughn was there. Josh Uche was there. You mentioned Mims. Jalen Hurts was there, which I would have been ecstatic if they took Jalen Hurts. I think he could have ended up being the starting quarterback for this team by like week five or six. Um, I mean, even KJ Hamler, I would have accepted KJ Hamler. I would have accepted Lloyd Cushenberry, uh, which interior offensive line is a need in Chicago. Like, I I love the Bears so much, but they hurt me so much because they do <laughs> stuff like this. Welcome, welcome to our world, man. Uh, I mean, it's it better is, than being yeah. a Texans fan right now. You're absolutely right because, man, we botched the offseason like you wouldn't believe. We'll get to the AFC South at some point. But all of these players that I believe are going to be Pro Bowl caliber players were right there. You could have traded down significantly and still probably gotten two of them. And I, I don't, I don't get it. I, yeah, I, even if they couldn't trade down and I, again, I think that may not have been a possibility just because of the wide sort of birth of talent in the second round and teams going, I don't, I don't need to trade up to get anybody. Why would I? And I understand that if they had to pick at 43, that's fine. But your point is incredibly valid that there were at least two to three other I would say higher rated options or higher rated players. And depending on your flavor of what you like, probably two more. Again, only 42 players were off the board for the entire draft at this point. And even if you can't trade back, it doesn't mean you go have to go for a tight end right there or you don't get any tight end. Look, there's guys that were projected in the first round that went in the fourth, right? Yeah. And you could have gotten one of them and had another quality talent at tight end. I'm talking about Bryson Hopkins, or if you want, you know, straight line speed and okay blocking and, you know, red zone options. Alberto was there. He went much later. Like Harrison those, Bryant. Yeah. Harrison. Oh, don't start me about Harrison. Bryant. I, I actually think he's a really good two way tight end. We'll talk about him and where he ended up going. But the idea that if you don't pick Cole Komet, you're boned for a tight end in this draft is, is just not true. You could have gotten many guys later on, and you could have had another really high-quality player up high, somebody that, again, has possibly future all-pro potential, like I think Antoine Winfield Jr. does. And people say, well, safety doesn't have value. Well, it's kind of like running back, right? Safety does have value if you get a transcendent one, if you get a really, really good one. And Winfield certainly looks like he has all the traits and the instincts to really impact a lot of games. And you pair him with Eddie Jackson, like in the Bears' particular situation, since we're talking about specifics, that's a knockout first round. If Jalen Johnson is still there at 50, which I believe you probably would have been anyways, and you walk away with Winfield and Johnson, your defensive backfield is saucy for the next two to three years. You got Fuller, 
Jalen Johnson, Antoine Winfield, and Eddie Jackson. And I don't really care who else. Like Buster Screen, fine. Like you got really solid pass defense in Chicago for the foreseeable future. Here are the tight ends that went round four. Just to rub it in. Cause because we Because you have to. We 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 we're 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 moving through the pain together, buddy. Harrison Bryant, Albert O, uh, moving down, Colby Parkinson, show favorite. And Bryson Hopkins. All these tight ends went in the fourth round. Yeah, I'm trying to find safeties that went in the fourth round. It's Kayvon Wallace, Jalen Hawkins, Legarius Sneed. We like Kayvon. We like Legarius. But are they Antoine Winfield? No. Uh, no, they're not. And, <laughs> no, they're not. Uh, the other thing is, just to preempt all the comments that we're going to get on the podcast, people are going to say, but the Bears didn't have a fourth-round pick. And you're right, they didn't. But they didn't really have a high fifth-round pick either. And they managed to trade up to get Travis Gibson. So, you know, the idea that they couldn't have moved or wouldn't have moved to get one of those tight ends is not entirely true, right? So things happen and once a card gets played in the draft it's it's very hard to what if it from there on out but at that point with everybody that was on the board the value becomes questionable now the player fit look Komet's good and he's going to get better but the impact he's going to give the offense in year one is probably pretty limited and I say that because the impact of year one why tight ends historically for the last five to eight years has been incredibly low none of them have cracked about 400 yards and I think the top was about five or six touchdowns. So if Komet is historically good and comes up with like 375 yards and four or five touchdowns, that's a great year for a rookie wide tight end. And that's still not a ton of impact for the offense. Yeah. But I, moving on to greener pastures, greener pastures. Yeah. Better way to say it. Jalen Johnson pick 50 all day. Stunning. Stunning. All day. And so good, right? Jalen Johnson, one of my pre-draft favorites for the Bears. Uh, physical corner with length. Uh, played in a very physical Utah defense. Very good down the boundary. A true boundary corner with size and plays out there very well. Tackles. Um, just a really, really good fit for Pagano's system. Did not think he was going to be available in round two at all. So the fact that he's there at your second pick in round two. And some people will state medicals. Yeah, he's had some problems with his shoulders. Uh, Nick Moreno, Nicholas Moreno, who's a great writer in the Chicago area, did a little bit of digging with a doctor and said, okay, he had this procedure. Should we worry about this as a chronic sort of injury with a, with a football player, right? And they said, mm, typically not. Now, that doesn't give him a green bill of health. Uh, but it does say, look, this isn't shouldn't be terribly concerning. And the Bears you know, did the right thing in selecting a player that is an ideal fit for their system. And quite frankly, within a year or two is going to be an upgrade from Prince. And it could be a fixture if he works out the way we all hope he will in that defensive secondary for years to come. So I was thrilled over the moon with the Jalen Johnson pick Um, had him actually at the beginning of the day, somebody said, who are your sort of ideal picks for 43 and 50? And I said, Winfield and Johnson. Uh, so when they got Johnson at 50, he was still there. I was, it's a great fit. It's a great value. It's a need. I've said all off season that outside cornerback is a need for the bears. I've had people argue up and down that it's not because Tolliver can lock that spot down. I'm not so sure that's true. Uh, so I'm just couldn't be happier about the Jalen Johnson pick. I, I think we both expected outside corner to be taken. Jalen Johnson, I think, was as good an option as any at pick 50. I can't remember if Fulton went after him or not. 
Uh, let me look it up real quick. I, I believe he did. I believe he did. And, and I'd said at the beginning of the day that although Christian Fulton wasn't my favorite outside corner, if he ended up a bear, I'd be fine with that because he's a very talented player. Again, it's kind of like the Komet situation. Yeah, um, he did. He except went. it would have been better value, right? Yeah. Um, no, Fulton is a good player. He's not my favorite. I like Johnson better, uh, especially in the Bears system. And, you know, but if Fulton had ended up a Bear, I wouldn't have been sad about it. He's a quality SEC corner that had really good analytics, had really good uh, performance and production, uh, and played SEC receivers who are quite talented, very, very tough. So he's got as good a footing to get into a place like the NFC North and make a dent as anybody. So that wouldn't have been sad for me. The fact that it was Johnson and he was still available was a celebration for me. I, I almost feel like other than Trenton Diggs, they, who went one pick later, they almost couldn't have gone wrong with any of the corners that, that were there at 50. Because uh, this corner was sneaky deep this year, especially a boundary corner. I would have been I would have been ecstatic with, honestly, any of them other than Diggs. I thought Diggs was probably a third-round pick. Cowboys took him in mid-second, so it's not like the worst reach in the world. I just – I felt like there were better players. Um, but, I mean, getting Jalen Johnson out of it, I'm, I'm totally cool with. I think we expect a boundary corner. One thing we didn't expect was nickel because they had a lot of nickels and then took Kendall Wilder from Georgia Southern in, in the fifth round, which, again, I, in a vacuum – the value for the player, I think it's excellent. The need is what I question because they had like three or four nickels already on the team. Yeah, we're skipping a little bit out of order, but that's fine because the two picks are close together. And Vilder, again, great player. Uh, we got to see him at the Senior Bowl. I was really excited by his tape before the Senior Bowl. Comes out of Georgia Southern, um, played outside for Georgia Southern and inside. Um, Obviously, uh, level of competition, I question at Georgia Southern. It's good. It's not great. And uh, a guy that's, you know, 5'10-ish can play outside all the time. And he's super built, physical specimen, plays with aggression, um, both aggression against the man that he's matched up against and aggression against the ball. He's a very aggressive player. Um, you know, I, I like the player, obviously. It was the question of, well, now what? Because you got Buster Screen for another year under contract. He played very, very well. You invested a sixth rounder that was sneaky good last year in Duke Shelley, who I have a lot of faith in and think can play very well. Loved his Kansas State tape. And there's a couple other corners on the Bears as well that show some promise in the nickel roll. And it's like, okay, so you got to, it's almost like the tight end argument. You got 10 tight ends, you, know, you got four nickel corners. Uh, where does where's Vilder really fit? Like that's going to be a tough battle in camp between I, I think screens the established starter, but between Shelley and Vilder, a couple of guys behind him. It just that was my same question mark is like good value for the player. Um, and again, if you're deciding to go BPA now, it's a little incongruous depending on what you did earlier in the draft. But yeah. like the player, like the value mid fifth. Sure. Why not? Um, it's just, so what's his path to contribution? And a bunch of people reached out to me immediately and said, can he play safety? I said, well, maybe, but he hasn't. So that's a transition uh, that I don't want to try and make a rookie make. He's going to make an immediate impact on special teams. He's that kind of player, physical, aggressive, fast. Um, he can earn his way onto the roster that way. So I don't really have a problem with it in mid fifth round. It was just a little surprising with some, again, some other players that remained on the board, other options that I saw as greater needs, um, there's still some guards floating around. 
I just thought, huh, that's interesting that they decided that Vilger was the guy they needed to go get. A, a few picks before him. This one kind of fascinated me because I feel like it can go either way, depending on how the strength and conditioning staff shapes his body. Because Travis Gibson isn't really a really gifted athlete, but he's he's got interesting dimensions at 6'3", 260, and I feel like he has a frame that can still pack on a little more. If they can get him up to like 6'3", 275, now I think he can play like an undersized three, like a Bilal Nichols, or if they want to keep him at 260 or 255 and have him be uh, more of an outside linebacker that rotates in behind Khalil uh, or, or Quinn, I guess, because the only other one they have is, I guess, Barkevious Mingo. So I'm really curious to see what role they put him in, depending on how they want to shape his body, because he can kind of go either way. What's your read on that one? Yeah, I was excited. Um, as you know, we started off the day two live stream and I'd gotten up early because my stupid scouting brain had kicked on after four and a half hours worth of sleep. And I was like, I need to go watch film. And I got up and I watched two guys. And the two guys I watched were Travis Gibson and Bryce Huff from Memphis, two edge guys. And Huff had been mentioned in the chat the day before. And I did my work up on Huff a long time ago. And I wanted to relook at him because somebody asked me a question about Huff. And I thought, God, I don't, I honestly don't really remember that much about Huff. I remember he had a ton of juice. I don't remember much else. So I want to go watch. And I was like, I, th I should throw Gibson in there as well. And I tweeted out before the round started, hey, man, there's still a lot of juice left at edge. And I listed like five guys and Gibson and Huff were in that list. And so the Bears trade up and I panic. Who are, you know, who's Ryan Pace going after now? And the word comes down, oh, it's Travis Gibson. I'm like, I don't hate that. We got to see him at the Senior Bowl. His tape is really good. His athleticism stands out. And the guy that in second viewing the morning before day two, uh, before he got picked, that he reminded me of, I thought, you know who this guy reminds me of? Roy Robertson Harris coming out of Utah, right? That's who Lance said he reminded him of too. Yeah, and that's what my other co-host, Jeff Burgess on Bears Over Beers reminded me that, or it didn't remind me. And I, look, I love Lance Erling. Amazing analyst. Uh, all props to him. If you're not following him, you absolutely should. Great football mind, works harder than just about anybody as an analyst, does like 500 reports a year, which is just staggering. Um, and he said, Lance Zerline said the same thing. I was like, well, it's always nice when it lines up, right? When somebody who's who's good at this compares them to the exact same player. And it's the same thing coming out. Roy Robertson-Harris, the frame was, hey, are they going to bulk him up and make him a sort of power five with some speed? Or are they going to sort of trim him down and try and make him a rocket off the edge? They chose to bulk him up. He plays more five than he does outside linebacker. And he's looked really good in that role. And just like you, I'm really uh, interested to say, hey, do we follow the same blueprint and try and do that? Or uh, do we go the other way and try and make him a backup to Mac and Quinn, which is what I'd like to see because, boy, when he penetrates, he flashes. When he gets in, he, he's he got a ton of speed. He plays with uh, a real physical aggression like when he hits people they move um not great laterally so i don't know that he's going to be as good going backwards as he is going forwards kind of like floyd was and i don't really expect that out of him he's a vertical athlete i, I don't want him in coverage at all right so and he's, he's a little high-waisted long legs um so it'll be interesting to see but i could see them absolutely going the same route as rrh roy robertson harris um 
it'll be interesting to see how they use him because he's there's a lot of tools there. He needs some polish for sure. That's why he went in the fifth, not the third. But in terms of measurables and quite frankly, football IQ, like you see him make good plays, like football savvy plays. And he can, you know, he can track, he can attack. He tackles pretty well, tackles really well, actually. Um, so I think it's an interesting developmental piece, and it's probably better than anything the Bears had in the cupboard right there. And for a fifth rounder, that's a good pick. Uh, the The rest of day three, because, again, they had two second-round picks and then nothing till you know, three fifth-round picks and then two seventh-round picks. So they, they didn't have a whole lot of assets to work with, mostly thanks to the Khalil Mack trade. Um, I'll be honest, I did not watch Darnell Mooney, wide receiver from Tulane. I did not watch Arlington Hambright, the guard from Colorado. And I did not watch Latavius Simmons, the guard from Tennessee State. But I will speak to addressing needs. They needed more bodies in the interior. They are rolling the dice. They're shotgunning it because that was one of the biggest needs on the team, whether they went center or they went guard. Luckily, they have flexibility with the guys that are already on the roster I mean, James Daniels and Cody Whitehair can play either one. Leno's the established left tackle. Bobby Massey is okay at right tackle. It's, uh, if, they, if, they, if they really had one available, like Josh Jones was there at pick 50 and they felt like, oh, we can upgrade but with Bobby Massey, that's fine. But he's okay. But really, they needed interior depth because they just don't have it. I think their slated starting right guard right now is Rashad Coward. And uh, No, uh, Effetti. Oh, right. They signed a Fetty. But even then, they have no depth at all for, for a team that doesn't have the greatest injury history over the last couple of years. So kind of shotgunning it on day three with Simmons and Hambright made sense to me. But I'm, because I haven't watched them, I don't know if they're actually going to make the team. What's your read on them? I have no read on them. We actually uh, had a live reaction Bears over Beers podcast. We started, we were going to start in the sixth and cover the two sixth round picks, but <laughs> Ryan Pace went and traded those. <laughs> he, he pretty much uh, dropped our idea there. We, we started about the beginning of the seventh and, and broadcasted through the seventh, recorded our podcast because we did that last year. And I actually hit both of the Bears seventh round picks. Kareth White and Steven Denmark were both favorites of mine. Kareth uh, White, a special teams stand out that I really liked. And Denmark was just a freak athlete who actually maps incredibly well to Jeremy Chin physically. I saw you tweeted uh, that out. They're almost the exact same. They are identical, except Denmark's an inch taller uh, and ran one hundredth faster in the 40s. So yeah, crazy in terms of the way they map to each other. But um, I haven't watched Arlington Hambright or Lechavia Simmons either uh, and said so on the pod because I will always tell you if I have not watched a guy, uh, I think honesty is the best policy. And I, I don't know what either one of those guys have. Obviously, the Bears um, scouted them, uh, thought they would fit well with their scheme, with their coaching staff. Um, they said so in the scout interviews that they do on um, ChicagoBears.com. But I will speak to Mooney because Mooney I did watch and Mooney I was really excited about. Um, did had didn't have any idea he'd end up on the Bears, but we talked about KJ Hamler for the Bears yes. over and over and over repeatedly. Again. And, and, right, and what were the things that excited you the most about KJ Hamler as a Chicago Bear? What were the two or three traits that really said I want this? The ability to eat cushion instantly. And, and have a weapon that can play inside, but still threaten vertically from inside, not just be like a, okay, it's third and seven, let's run an option route. Like, no, we are, we are running four verts with 
somebody who has incredible gas that if you're playing quarters and you match him up with a safety, he's gone. If you have a nickel that runs mid four fives, he's gone. Like that, that was the appeal of Hamlin was giving a true deep threat that you cannot leave alone. Yeah. That's the one is can opener, right? We needed, we needed speed off the top to both open up the top of the defense and threaten single coverage. When you leave single coverage, you, it, you, you have to know that you're sort of leaving yourself open that's going to break open all the underneath stuff in Nagy's offense for crossing routes for Robinson, for the tight end to really work, whoever that might end up being. So that was what, that was the big appeal of Hamler, right? And the limitations on Hamler was he's a little bit smaller in frame. He plays pretty big and his hands aren't terrific. They're good, but he had some drops, not a ton, but he had some drops. And Mooney is literally a carbon copy just a little bit lighter, like five pounds lighter, really the same height, also had uh, not lockdown hands, but look, he's not Butterfingers either, and he is wild fast. He is like 438. Four, yeah, I was going to say like 431, 434 on, on film, like he's fast. And so when they got him in the fifth, I was like, yep. That's what they needed. They just got KJ Hamler light, right? They got everything they were looking for in KJ Hamler, but they got it, you know, three rounds later or two rounds later. Um, and that's that's a great draft value. We talked a lot about draft value with Cole Komet up top. Now you could have taken Hamler up top. That's fine, and it would have been a fine value. We would have been like, okay, like you said, I would accept that, right? To be able to get that at round five, pick twenty eight, one seventy three overall. And get, I'd say, a good 80% of what K.J. Hamler is, if not a little bit more, in Darnell Mooney, is a great draft value. That's how good teams work draft value. So Darnell Mooney is the pick out of the bottom half of everybody. Again, I like Vildor as a player, but the fit is a question mark and, and his path to playing time on the roster. Hambright and Simmons, I'm not going to say they're good or not. I haven't watched them. But Mooney gives them exactly what they were looking for, that everybody said they should draft even uh, up in the second round or in the beginning of the third, right, with Hamler, in the fifth. And that's a great, great value. They are potentially looking at carrying six receivers on the roster now, which I don't know if they did last year. But between Robinson, Miller, Corderell, who we know is going to make it just for special teams value alone, Riley Ridley, Javon Wims, and now Mooney, I can't see them not carrying six. They they kind of have to. Yeah, I don't really count Corderell as a as a wide receiver because he's sort of an everything. He's really a special teamer, right? His primary role in the Bears is a special teamer. And both as a, a defensive special teamer, a gunner, he was excellent in that role last year. I think played at a Pro Bowl level in that role alone as a returner, um, certainly a kick returner. Uh, I don't think he's a great punt returner, but he's definitely one of the best kick returners in the league. So he's really, truly a special teamer. Plus, the Bears have used him more almost on runs than they have on true passes. So it, he's kind of like special teams slash OW, right? Offensive weapon. Yeah. And so counting him as a receiver, sure, if you want to, if you have to, if the league makes you. But I'm not really counting him against the wide receiver core because if you're lining up Cordero Patterson as a, as a straight-up wide receiver, you're doing it wrong. I want to shift to a team that I think is going to be a thorn in the side of Chicago this year because they had an excellent class. And I want you to listen to all these names that the Detroit Lions just got because they brought themselves a haul back to the state of Michigan. 
Jeff Okuda, DeAndre Swift, Julian Aquara, Jonah Jackson, Logan Stenberg, Quintez Cephas, Jason Huntley, John Pensini, Jashawn Cornell. Wow. Wow. Good work, Bob Quinn. That is a tremendous class overall. Like we were saying before the show, you can stop at Akuda and Swift and it's already a win. To get everything else on top of that is ridiculous. Yeah, I stop it. I agree. It's a great haul. It's a great haul for their system. I thought they did well with value. Um, and honestly, I could stop after um, Huntley in round five. And it's a great class. Like Akuda, great pick, period. They, they, they didn't screw it up. Let's put it that way. If you have pick three and you screwed up, that's bad. If you pick a corner that is pretty much everybody's number one consensus corner after you just lost a corner uh, that played really well in your system, that's that's good. That's how that's how teams reload. DeAndre Swift is a great complement to what they already have in the barn with Carryon Johnson. Carryon Johnson is a very good back. I think underrated. He has struggled with injuries. Swift gives them another dimension in their running back stable. Uh, that they didn't have, and quite frankly, as a Bears fan, I'm a little worried about. You better have your run fit very straight when you play DeAndre Swift, because if you don't, it's a touchdown. So he brings a ton of gas to their running back core. Julian Arquara is a, kind of the forgotten guy in the middle a little bit, um, undersized rusher from Notre Dame who brings some juice and I thought was better than a lot of other rushers in that class, in this class, or of that type in this class. And I think he could work pretty well in their system. I think he might get some production. The three and four picks, uh, sorry, third round and fourth round picks, second, third round pick, Jonah Jackson, fourth round pick, Logan Stenberg, rebuilds the interior of defensive uh, Detroit's offensive line right now. Like, those are two of my favorite guards in the whole class. Instant um, starters. Both with, yeah, both within the top five. Both guys you look at and go, pro. You know, they're going to start like if they don't start on day one. They're going to start on day three and they're going to start for a while. Both of them different players, but both excellent, excellent guards. So you can just sort of not worry about the interior of the offensive line in Detroit. If there's not injuries for the next oh, three to five, they're locked down. Quintez Cephas, a Big Ten receiver from Wisconsin. Good speed, um, crafty wide receiver. Wisconsin's put out several of these guys in the last three to five years. And he fits the mold. He doesn't excite me, but he's a very solid pick. Um, and then Jason Huntley from New Mexico State. I love, he was one of my sleeper sort of running back special teams guys. Um, first tape I watched to him was versus UTEP. And he averaged, this is going to kill you, averaged 16 yards a carry in that game <sighs> as a running back. That's ridiculous. How many carries? <laughs> uh, he had like 16. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so UTEP couldn't oh really God. deal with this little veer play, but Huntley is so fast. He is top tier fast. He is four, low four threes fast. And he's not big. He runs, he tries to run between the tackles. That's not his strength. His strength is just like DeAndre Swift, slide outside, find your gap, plant your foot, and whoops, you didn't get me. And you didn't get me for 70 yards. Like he is crazy quick. He is an underrated wide receiver. He is real short. I think he's 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, yeah, but he caught there. some really good balls um, that were poorly thrown. I should say bad balls uh, that he made really good catches on. So he adds a receiving element. Again, you could put him in the slot with that kind of speed. He's a threat, and he has special teams experience too. He's returned both punts and kickoffs for touchdowns. 
great pick late in the fifth that just adds some juice to their offense. Um, I know some folks who are big fans of John Fennessini, uh, the Utah defensive tackle, big stalwart in the middle. I think he's going to fit Patricia's system pretty well. So if you just look at the sort of, they got a good number of picks and just quality down the board, right? Akuda, Swift, Akara, Jackson, Stenberg, skip Cephas and go to Huntley. Like that stops at the end of round five. And those are really good players who all I can see a defined role to the roster right now. So that's a great draft. So I, I do want to talk about, I mean, I'll go through the other ones too, but I, I do want to talk about Okuda real quick because there was a small movement in Detroit. I don't, want to say, I don't want to say it was a big one, but it was there of taking Isaiah Simmons at third overall and not Jeff Okuda saying we need linebackers. You know, the, the Jared Davis thing was a failure. We, we need more linebackers. So let's just take the best one. Here's the thing. <laughs> so here's the thing. I, I understand you just got Desmond Trufant, which theoretically you're rolling out Trufant and you're rolling out, I don't know, I guess Daryl Roberts as your number two corner. Can you survive with that for a year? Uh, oh, I forgot they, they took Amani Oruwariye too last year too, which I was super high on him when he was coming out. So like theoretically, yep. okay, you've got some young corners, you've got an established vet. Do we really need Jeff Okuda? Yes. <laughs> okay, Desmond Trubont has two years left on his deal, and when that's up, he's going to be like 31 or 32. And I, so you're going to need a corner anyway in like two years, if not sooner. You might as well take one of the best corners that's come out in, I don't know, eight, nine years when you have the chance to. Okay, like out of all the Ohio State corners that have come out, and there have been many, you know, Ward and – Conley and Lattimore, like Okuda's better than all of them. Like he's flat out the best DB to come out of DBU. And I think yeah, here's he's... a fun question. What was your negative column for Akuda? I love asking people this question that study the draft. What was your negatives column for Akuda? Uh he's boring to watch because nobody throws at him. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> lack of lack of targets because he shuts down all their outs. But it's I mean... so funny to for people to like scrape, you know, try and scrape a negative for Jeff Akuda because they're just, they're there really just one. aren't any. Yeah. Like he's got good size. He's got good speed. He plays with aggression. He plays with technique. He tackles, um, you know, he shuts down top receivers. His analytics are good. Like you just look and you're like, I don't like his uh, shoelace color. Like I, there's just nothing. Right. Let's, let's put it this way. His, his, the other corner of Ohio State, Damon Arnett, went 19 overall. And I think both of us were totally OK with that. And yeah. still, he was like, it's not even close. That's that's how much better he was. Than yeah, I like Arnett a lot, as you well know. And it, it's you're, you're right. It's not close. Like Arnett has things to improve upon. Akuda, really, when you are nitpicking, you are nitpicking. You are looking for for splinters in the carpet, man. It is not it is not easy to find something that you don't like about Jeff Akuda, And that is sort of regardless of where he ended up system, who his coach is like, he's just one of those guys. And I think if you, if you look at that system, they also prioritize man coverage. So if you might as well get the best man cover corner in the draft, because Matt Patricia, whether you agree with it or not, his philosophy is, I can always scheme pressure. I can't scheme good man-to-man coverage. I just need the guys that can do it. 
So yeah. he, he gets Trufant, who I think is a good man cover corner. He's definitely better in man than he is in zone. You get Akuda or Warrior, who's coming out of Penn State last year. I, I mean, just traits galore. And I was super high on him. So that's a trio of corners, two of them very young, that you can build around and potentially have a, a just a, almost like a, a Patriots-type secondary where you play man all day, you can bling, you, you can bring pressures. I mean, you could just play blitz zero on third downs and not even care because you trust your guys to lock receivers up. And especially in that division, like you have to survive against Allen Robinson. You have to survive against Devontae Adams. I mean, you have to survive against uh, Thielen and, and now Jefferson that they got from LSU, who we'll get to in a bit. Like there's a lot of good receivers in that division. You better have corners that can handle it. And they believe they can bring pressure with Julian Aquara and, and Trey Flowers and Austin Bryant and um, the other Aquara, Romeo Aquara. Like they're going to bring pressure, and then they'll they'll trust their DBs, and that's their philosophy. They stuck to it. I agree with that philosophy for what it's worth. We've seen a whole bunch of teams around the NFL kind of adopt that. Miami, New England, obviously, um, uh, the the Texans, even my own team. You know, they, they've been loading up on boundary corners that can play man outside so they can bring more pressures inside. Like, that is a legitimate philosophy, and I am very happy that they chose to stick with that instead of taking Isaiah Simmons, who, in my opinion, they honestly don't need. Yeah, I think Simmons would have been more of a projection. Uh, did you see that complete <laughs> horse crap that came out of, I think it was the Panthers front office that said, well, we, we thought – Simmons would be better served by going to a mature organization, a more mature organization. Uh, we thought he was good, but we weren't sure that we were going to maximize his gifts. So, so we sort of wish him well. Did you see that take? That's their way of saying we didn't like him. I, exactly. That is, I, I think I sent that. I think I sent that to you in a DM and I was like, well, this is some horse hockey. This is ridiculousness. And then the um, Cardinals saying we're going to play him at linebacker and everybody's like, but he plays in the slot and he plays free safety. No, he's a linebacker. That's yeah, what you is. and I agree on that, but a lot of people <laughs> don't. And I'm, I'm going to respect their opinion, but I, I'm happy with that choice. But I, I saw that come out of the Panthers office and I was like, wow, that's wow. That's some post-draft spin right there. Like we like him, but we didn't like him enough to draft him. Oh, okay. You didn't, you didn't like him. Um, that's fine. Uh, so anyways, that's, yeah. that's neither here nor there, but I, Detroit, I agree with you on, on all the other picks, by the way, like Jackson and Stenberg. Oh, uh, that solid. just resets the whole middle of their line for like, rock again, solid. three to five is not even a worry. Unless one of those guys gets injured, the middle of their line is in good hands, like good pro hands. And then you've got carry Johnson, Deandre Swift running behind those guys. Like, okay. You're, you're going to see double teams against Akeem Hicks from Frank Ragnow and Logan Stenberg. And I'm pretty sure that's just going to create a black hole in the middle of Michigan. Cause that is just so much power colliding with each other. And, and honestly, if the bears didn't have Akeem, I'd be like, well, the interior of their run defense is screwed because that is a lot of ass that's going to be moving. <laughs> yeah. Goldman and Hicks versus the interior of that line is going to be um, line porn for anybody that likes that sort of thing like anybody that likes offensive line defensive line interaction um and you and i talked about this when stenberg got drafted we were like we are going to get excited about hicks versus stenberg and pe people think i'm nuts because i'm a bears fan akeem hicks obviously blue chip player one of the best players at his position in the nfl um super powerful very skilled 
uh, very fast, just a great, great player. And they're like, what are you talking about? This rookie's going to give him a, a, you know, a shouting match. And I'm like, um, you haven't seen Stenberg. Like, <laughs> he's kind of a gravitational well. He just doesn't move. So now I'm not saying that Hicks is not going to beat Stenberg's ass a couple of times and, and make him look silly because he is a rookie. But what's going to surprise people is if they're really watching, Hicks is going to get stoned on a couple of rushes and they're going to be like, who's that guy? And it's going to be Stenberg. It's going to be like when, um, oh God, who would, uh, Gabe Jackson. When Gabe Jackson came in the league and everybody's like, oh, he's young. He's 21, 22 years old. He's strong, but he doesn't know what he's doing. And next thing you know, Gabe Jackson, again, as a rookie, is just grabbing people by the chest and saying, you're mine now. You're not going anywhere. And yeah, like, so that's, that's, that's I can't work. And he's like, nope, I, I have you. You're mine. Yeah, it's going to be good football to watch for anybody that really likes trench football. And I think a lot of NFC North fans are, are fans of trench football. And you're going to look, it's going to you're going to have to load up versus the Lions now. It's not going to be an easy out if they use those guys correctly. And I don't really have any inclination to say that they won't. Um, they have a strong offensive line. They have threats at running back, including a sort of gadget threat in Huntley. Uh, you know, Stafford is a very happy dude, right? His back feels a little bit better, I think, is the text I sent you when they drafted Jonah Jackson. <laughs> um, you know, he's got some protection in front of him, and I'll allow the Drew Brees model, right? Don't let the interior pressure come up the face of the quarterback. Um, you know, it, again, it was a planned draft. They stuck with it, and, and I'd say, you know, I don't want to say knocked it out of the park, but they hit a good, solid triple. Oh, yeah. Uh, at minimum, it's a double in the gap, which I think yep. is as, as good as you can hope for at this point. Um, there are a lot of Packer fans that wish they hit a double in the gap. I'll say that. And I, I do want to prepare Green Bay fans listening to this. No, we we didn't like your class either. Uh, I'll, I'll put it gently. But I can understand why they did it. Uh, I, I don't agree with why they did it, but I understand why they did it kind of going through their picks. Again, I'll list them all out. Jordan Love, who's a whole different discussion. And then you got A.J. Dillon in the second round, Josiah DeGuar in the third round, Kamal Martin, John Runyon, Jake Hansen, one of my personal favorites. Um, I, I screw up his pronunciation every time. Simon Stepaniak? Yeah, you got it. Stepaniak. Stepaniak. Uh, Vernon Scott and Jonathan Garvin. So here's my thoughts on this class, and, and you can feel free to agree or disagree. I think they went into this offseason thinking, okay, why did we lose to the San Francisco 49ers? Why did we fall short of the Super Bowl? And to me, it's because they looked at the formula that the 49ers had, which is we don't really need to throw. We are going to run the ball down your throats. We have an amazing fullback. We have an amazing offensive line. We have a bruising, creative run game that can really beat any front. Like we're not just outside zone. We're not just inside zone. We're everything. So you give us the wrong front and we're going to gash you. Uh, You know, we have tight ends that can beat you. We have a couple receivers that we like to throw to, but they're not really a top priority. Like it, it, it was all about system and bruising run game. And Jimmy Garabo really didn't have to do anything. Like as a team, they were just better. And so I think the Packers looked at that and they're like, okay, would Denzel Mims, would would his addition have won that game for us? Probably not. 
would a dominant run game that could keep the 49ers offense off the field and wear down that defensive line so that they couldn't be all over Aaron Rodgers, would that have given us a better shot? Maybe. So they're taking A.J. Dillon, who is just a hammer. And keep in mind, LaFleur coached Derrick Henry when he was down in Tennessee and saw the kind of value that Henry brings as a hammer that just wears defenses out. And by the fourth quarter, you don't want to tackle him anymore. He's an excellent compliment to Aaron Jones stylistically. Again, is he as good as Zach Moss? No, but I understand why they're building a Henry and uh, Deion Lewis type backfield. But obviously, Aaron Jones is better than Deion Lewis. That's what they're going for. Then you got Josiah DeGuar. That's their Kyle Juszczyk. Would you go back in time and spend a third-round pick on Kyle Juszczyk, knowing the value he brings as a fullback that you can run slot fades to and he'll actually win? Yeah, <laughs> Josiah DeGuara does that. Like You and I have had a lot of conversations about him. He showed up in our 10 Gems podcast. We thought he would go in the fourth round, but going in the third, considering the role and the system, again, we know why they're doing that. They're trying to copy the Niners, and they're trying to copy Kyle Juszczyk. It makes sense. Now, the Jordan Love thing is a whole separate conversation, but at the same time, they have a 35-year-old quarterback who, in all honesty, has not been a picture of health over the last five or six years. You, you have to plan ahead. I get why they're doing it. Do I agree with it? Were there some better players on the board? Yeah, but it's not that out of left field. Yeah, there's three things about this draft, and, and you hit on most of them. And just to sort of summarize what those are, one, whenever fans or teams, quite frankly, set their mind on if we don't come out of this draft with X, whether that's a particular player or it's a position or worst of all, a position at a slot, right? If we don't come out of this draft with a guard at pick 50, it's, it's a failure, right? The, that's when people get set up for let's just say lack of success, failure, whatever you want to call it. So a lot of folks in Green Bay had set their minds to, there's all these wide receivers. We need wide receivers. We're going to get a ton of wide receivers. Mock drafts all over the place had Michael Pittman as their first pick. Um, Who'd you choose? Was it Pittman? It was Pittman, wasn't it? Uh, It was, was it Pittman? Yeah, it was Pittman. Yeah, Yeah, I think they didn't trade up in my mock, so. Right. Exactly. So, you know, here's the thing, right? Like everybody had in their mind, Green Bay wide receiver, heavy wide receiver class. It's a need. We're going to do it. So the fact that there's zero wide receivers on the list is where people get disappointed. Um, The second thing is look at the look at the skew between offense and defense in this draft. Pick one offense, pick two offense, three, four, five, six, six picks deep. Offense, 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 offense. Then they go in the seventh round to two defenders, a DB, and an edge, right? But they're seventh rounders. They're lottery tickets. Green Bay thinks what failed them and what they need help with is their offense, not their defense. Their defense played really well, surprisingly well last year. And that's coming from a Bears fan. They had a lot of free agency additions. They suddenly remembered in Wisconsin that free agency was an option, signed a bunch of high profile defenders. And it all worked. It gelled really quickly, like much more quickly than I expected it to. And I think much more quickly than a lot of people around the league expected it to. So the defense wasn't the problem and they knew it. And they went after offense, 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 offense. So that's the other thing. And then it's really about 
if I told you before this draft that the Packers draft would hinge on one player and his name was Josiah DeGuara, you would have said I was nuts. Yeah, he's he's the linchpin. And when he got picked, we both went, huh, that's funny. A little bit earlier, we liked the player, but do they really need a tight end, whatever? And it was the next morning that somebody brought up, they're not listing him at tight end, they're listing him at fullback. And the light went on for both of us, and we were like, oh, Oh, I said to you, (laughs) he's their use check. Yeah. And you said, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what he is. And I went, okay, it makes sense then. Like where they picked him, why they picked him, why they picked him specifically. Josiah DeGuar, for those of you that didn't catch our 10 Gems episode, um, slightly undersized move tight end out of Cincinnati, fairly fast, really good hands, loves to block, has a ton of hustle, just so much hustle, and is a really good fit for that role like if you're picking somebody handpicking for somebody for that role out of this draft like there's not a lot of guys better than him at that I'm so getting him at nobody the end, better yeah exactly getting him at the end of round three people would say oh we picked a tight end at you know round three pick 30 that's a waste well if he becomes i would say three quarters of use check in the packers offense it's not a waste so the bottom line that we've sort of skipped the entire time is if Jordan Love becomes a stud and the Packers go on to their third great quarterback in a row, which is, I don't want to say historically unprecedented, but it's extremely rare. Let's put it that way. This is a successful draft. If Jordan Love bombs out and LaFleur can't reach him and he never achieves any heights and he struggles, this is a terrible draft. And that's that's the end of it. It's That's what happens when you trade up for a quarterback in the first round. You're pretty much hinged to, if he performs well, good draft. If he performs poorly it was a poor draft and that's that's that and we'll see about that in time um personally as a bears fan i hope it doesn't happen as a draft analyst i hope it does happen because jordan love like everybody i want to see succeed and he has some extremely high highs on tape he has some inconsistency if he can work through that he's going to be a very good player and as a bears fan that scares me deeply uh but really you know that's the top of this draft and the rest of it like you said was a theme and it made sense it focused on offense it rebuilt some of their offensive line and it gave them a couple of very specific weapons to attack why they thought they lost last year also low-key jake hansen really good six-round pick as a zone center in a system that is a lot of zone runs not entirely zone runs but a lot of zone runs uh, I think he was an undervalued zone center prospect. Uh, not as good as Harris, not as good as Hennessy, but those guys went ahead of him for a reason. But, you know, as, as far as six-round centers go, I'm totally cool with uh, with Hanson. Um, now, yeah, we got to give a shout-out to the Oregon offensive line, right? Three guys drafted. Yeah. Or I guess Throckmorton didn't get drafted. He was a UDFA, but Lemieux, Throckmorton. Next year too. Yeah, you, yeah, he, he might be the number one pick, depending. But um, no, Lemieux, Throckmorton, and Hanson all off the all off the Ducks line. Um, I know that makes a guy like Kyle Long happy about his alma mater, but uh, really quality offensive line they were running in Eugene last year. And, and I do want to do one more note, since you brought it up, of this class will be judged by probably two picks, and that's DeGuara and, and Love. You look at the Chiefs draft in 2017, that was the Pat Mahomes draft, widely considered, honestly, to be the most impactful draft in the history of that entire franchise because they got Pat Mahomes. Here's the rest of their picks. Second round was Tano Passignan, DE from Villanova, uh, Villanova, excuse me, 
who is a honestly a rotational player at best at this point in his career. Uh, was a going into year four, and he's just a, he's a rotational player. Um, then you got Kareem Hunt, who is no longer on the team. Uh, and then you got Jehu Chesson, who I do not believe is on the roster. Um, you got Ukemi Elegwe, who I don't think is on the roster. Maybe special teamer at best, but he's definitely not a starter. And then they had the sixth-round pick forfeited because of a penalization that I cannot remember what it was for, but they didn't get to make it. And then they got Leon McQuay, who's no longer there either. So, like, they, they had basically Pat Mahomes and a rotational edge, and that's it. And it's still, Let's be honest. They had Pat Mahomes and Bubkiss. And, and they won a Super Bowl because of that. That's right. And so it's a great draft, period. Period. End of story. And, and that's that's what we're gambling on here is you might not like it. They might they might need a receiver. They they might have needed Zach Moss over AJ Dillon. But if Jordan Love works out, literally nothing else matters. That's 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 it. Um, now I do want to wrap this up with the largest of the classes of the NFC North. Might have been the largest class in the whole NFL. I was going to say I think largest class in the NFL because before the draft we said they can't possibly make all those picks. They're either going to trade some into next year or they're going to, you know, combine a couple, bundle a couple and move up. There's no way they're making all those picks. They made all the picks. And I, I don't know, well there's no way they're all going to make the roster, but I kind of admire the the guts to just shotgun it and get as many guys into camp as you can and just see who works out. So listen to all these names. There's 13 of them, I believe, for the Minnesota Vikings in 2020. Justin Jefferson, wide receiver LSU, Jeff Gladney, cornerback from TCU, Ezra Cleveland, the left tackle from Boise State, Cam Dantzler, a favorite of yours, corner from Mississippi State, DJ Wadham, edge from South Carolina, James Lynch, a kind of hybrid defensive lineman-ish type from Baylor, uh, Troy Dye, the Oregon linebacker, Harrison Hand, Temple Corner, KJ Osborne, uh, really underrated receiver from Miami, Blake Brandle from Oregon State, Josh McTellis from Michigan, Kenny Willickis, favorite of the show, uh, defensive end from Michigan State, uh, Nate Stanley, not a favorite of the show, quarterback from Iowa, Brian Cole the second from Mississippi State, and Kyle Hinton from Washburn. Uh, a lot of names there. I don't even know where to begin, so let's just, I guess, go from top to bottom, starting with the first rounders. Justin Jefferson and Jeff Gladney, what, as a Bears fan, is your reaction to having to face those two? Uh, Justin Jefferson is a great receiver, and he's going to slot right in. Is he going to be Stephon Diggs in his first year? He's not. He's a bit of a different receiver, but played that big slot role at LSU. Good speed, better than everybody expected speed at the Combine, which is what really pushed his stock up. But if you watch the LSU tape, he's an accurate receiver, and by that, I mean he runs good routes, strong hands. He understands leverage how to beat defensive backs. He's a good pro receiver. I expect he'll be in the league for a long time, probably playing for Minnesota. Gladney, not my favorite corner, but if he had to go anywhere, uh, again, to make his career the best, not necessarily me the happiest, because I would prefer to you know, starve Zimmer of defensive backs that he likes, but they pick Gladney as their top choice uh, as a corner at the bottom end of round one. And I think he's going to – they needed to reload, right? They lost two – high-profile starting corners in the offseason. Um, so they reload with Gra Gladney and Dantzler. Uh, we're going to skip over Cleveland for a minute. And again, Dantzler's the same thing. Dantzler's one of those guys on tape that um, has the measurables in terms of he's big. He doesn't have the measurables in terms of speed. His testing numbers were all kind of eh. 
But you turn on the tape in the SEC, again, loaded with wide receivers, and nobody had a good day against Dantzler, right? He's tall. He's a little skinny. He wasn't super fast. But every time you turn on the tape versus Mississippi State, whoever it is, whether it's Jamar Chase or Jefferson or whatever, nobody's having a great day because Dantzler's locking him down. And I don't think there's a better system in the NFL for Dantzler to have gone to. I think Gladney could have played. He's more system flexible, a better athlete. Dantzler is just a Vikings corner. Like when he got picked, I was like, ah, damn it. (laughs) That's just such, such a lock for Zimmer and what he really values in corners. And the two of those guys are going to lock down the outside for the Vikes for a while. Jefferson, I think slots in again, high pick 22 in the first round. Um, Just those three, if you stop their draft right there. And again, there's 10 players after that. It's a good draft for them, right? You reload your outside corners. You get a very quality wide receiver who should play at a pro level for quite a while. You did well, right, with just those three, and we we skipped over Cleveland. So you could stop it right there, but there's some interesting depth later on down that we want to talk about. The thing with Gladney and Dantzler, keep in mind, I was not super big on Dantzler's movement skills, which I think is why he went in the third round. But to your point, there's there's a couple things that Mike Zimmer values more than almost anything else. And keep in mind, Zimmer's one of the best DB coaches in the NFL, and he has been for a very, 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 very long time. He loves guys that are competitive, and he loves guys that are tough. If you're willing to tackle, if you're willing to fight tooth and nail at the point of the catch, regardless of whether you're in phase or not phase, he'll work with you. You have to be competitive. And I think that was a big reason why Dantzler had success in the SECs, because even if he wasn't always in phase, he was competitive. He would press you at the line. He would do everything he could to stop you from catching the football. And I, 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 I like that about him. Again, not super big on his movement skills, but I think mentality-wise, he fits what Zimmer wants. Gladney, way better mover. I think he went earlier than some people expected. And keep in mind, like I mocked him to Zimmer in the first round just because he fits the Zimmer profile, but he's a little bit older as a prospect. So some people didn't think he should go that high, but again, he is competitive. He's got movement skills. I think the game against Texas when he was up against Colin Johnson, which I I'm sure you watched that one, especially when you're watching Johnson, because he made some crazy catches in that game. They must've targeted him like a dozen times and he never backed down. And Johnson had like five inches on him. It was a war from start to finish. And I loved watching. It's one of my favorite individual battles that I watched on tape at the collegiate level last year uh, out of anybody. And, you know, I think when you watch that and you see how he was learning how Johnson played throughout the game and adjusting it, uh, adjusting to it, you know, he was recognizing when the back shoulder fade was coming and he wasn't playing a little bit soft uh, like, like he was in the first quarter. By the third quarter, I mean, he was basically just punching him into the sideline and be like, nope, I'm not going to let you get that on me again. And I, I, I really loved that. I loved his toughness and competitiveness. He was not going to back down from a big physical receiver. And I know Zimmer loved that about him too. Now, in, in regards to Jefferson, uh, I do wonder if this means that Thielen's going to stay outside and Jefferson's going to be inside or if they want to move Thielen back to big slot. I'm not sure which way this is going to work, but I think it can kind of work both ways. And so ma- no matter what, I think he's going to be productive. Yeah, you bought some versatility, right? Because now you have two guys and they've both played the big slot role and they've both showed some success outside as well. 
So that's just good for an offense, right? That just creates matchup nightmares. If you, you know, Thielen's not a short guy, and if you're going up against the Kindle Builders of the world and you're, you know, you think you can get over him with some height, you can slide either one of those guys inside. Um, Thielen's a little bit taller than Jefferson, but the fact that you can slide any of them around probably on either side, maybe they don't want to do that with Jefferson as a rookie, but I think he could handle it. Um, is good for an offense for you know that versatility, the multiplicity of looks they can throw at you. Um, back to Dantzler, you know, they got a a potential starting corner round three pick twenty five. He was pick eighty nine overall, right? And you look at when you know the corners that got picked there or lower. Nobody's starting at a high level in the NFC North. Lower than that outside, right? Yeah, that's a great value pick and it's again because he fits their system their mentality their coaching style he has more value for them than he does for other teams so good value pick and and for the vikings just a lock system pick that's that's a really sort of hand in glove between scouting and coaching the one that that does kind of throw me for a loop i know we skipped over ezra cleveland there must have been a medical or something for Josh Jones because he was right there. Like, I I don't understand taking Ezra Cleveland over Josh Jones. Yeah, you especially because you were more critical of Cleveland than a lot of folks I knew. Like, Cleveland was a somewhat raw tackle. Good movement skills, but he's got a ways to go. Um, He certainly doesn't scare me right off the bat in terms of, again, being a Bears fan. But I'm with you that uh, if I have to pick between Jones and Cleveland, I pick Jones. I, I never would have thought that Jones was available at 58. Um, but yeah, I would have picked Jones. So it surprised me a little bit, but again, this is where valuation for specific teams and specific schemes really comes into it. They obviously for one reason or another, and we don't get to see all the backstory and coaching and system and medical that they do. Uh, but they thought Cleveland was a better fit. So they picked him. I think it's just because he's really athletic and, you know, Gary Kubiak loves athletic linemen because they run outside zone so much. Like, right. He, uh, I might give him the, I might give him the edge on pure movement, but I'd give the edge to Jones on everything else in terms of technique, anchor power. And Jones isn't a bad mover. To be honest, he was one of the better movers of the tackle class, not as much so as Cleveland who really looked like one of those tight end converts who, who can run like a deer. Yeah, um, but just because you got one strong strength and sort of get marked, I don't want to say marked down, but marked second in every other category versus another guy, I think I would have leaned towards Jones as his versatility, right? Or is just uh, and, and just ability to pass protect without getting completely run over by power. Like to me, that's well, there's that that's kind yeah, of no, important. his anchor for sure is better. <laughs> so like, it, it wasn't again. It was. It was one of those picks that you kind of go, eh, and then you're like, well, don't really agree with it, but I don't hate it. Like, I don't have a strong opinion about Cleveland over Jones. I would have chosen Jones, but I can see why you'd pick Cleveland. It's not like you pick that guy. Like, I get it. I get what they see. We see different things, but that's okay. I would also say if I just, in my head, if I swap Kenny Willickis in the seventh round with DJ Wanham in the fourth, <laughs> I'm yeah. cool with it. Like the fact that they got Willikus in the seven makes up for taking Wanham in the fourth to me. Cause I think Willikus is honestly going to beat him out. Like Willikus is really good. Yeah. I will talk about Kenny when we get down there. Cause he was one of the mad value picks in this draft. Um, but I watched Wanham uh, right before I met you, right before I went down to the senior bowl. I watched all the edges cause bears were definitely in the market for an edge as, <laughs> as evidenced by the fact that they picked one that went to the senior bowl. So that was the same time I watched Travis Gibson. 
DJ Wanham was the first guy, and he, there's one every year. And unfortunately, DJ Wanham has the the distinction of being the first guy that I watched in the 2020 draft class where I went, oh. <laughs> I was like, look, he was a highly recruited, uh, very athletic, big, powerful lineman. He actually reminds me a lot of Alton Robinson, actually, out of Syracuse. Like, yeah, similar. Gifts-wise, yeah. Yep, similar recruitment profile, similar frame, similar gifts, similar flashes, but not as many of them, and a long time in between them, like longer for Wadham than for Robinson. And his tape is really, frankly, underwhelming. And I went, God, he, he's got everything, right? He's got the size, he's got the pedigree, he's got the moves, you can see it, but he just doesn't put it together, which is why watching full tape instead of highlights is the thing. So Wanham was the first guy that I really came away with with kind of not a sour taste, just like a stale taste in my mouth. Like, ah, he, he's not what he looks like, right? He's not what he's going to test. He's not what people think he is um, in terms of production. So if they can turn him around um, in the system, and they could, like if, if anybody can, it's Zimmer, right? They he did it with success Hunter. with athletic offensive, or uh, I've said it twice now, athletic defensive linemen. Um, but Wanham just really didn't turn my crank. Actually, the guy I picked right after him, I liked a little bit more because he played with a lot of energy. He certainly has less physical gifts than Wanham, but that's James Lynch out of Baylor. And again, like you said, kind of a hybrid. They play him a little bit heavy end inside three, five. Um, it, it's really a kind of tweener. We talked about Jason Strobridge in kind of the same way. We talked about AJ Epinesa in a little bit of the same way. Is he better outside? Is he better, you know, as a five? Is he a better edge? Is he, a, you know, I think Epinesa is better as a three, but. Lynch is a little bit like that, not the same physical skill set. But honestly, if I was picking the two, because they were only picked, uh, what, 15 picks apart, uh, 13 picks apart, actually, um, I would take Lynch uh, because he just excited me more as a guy that hustled, uh, sort of got more out of what he had than DJ Wanham. Yeah, I, I think Lynch is probably going to end up at three tech for them. Um, I can't imagine he'd be taking a lot of snaps at like pure defensive end away from Hunter and uh, who else do they have there? I mean, I can't imagine Wanham's going to be starting across from Hunter. Uh, let's see who else. At least not as a rookie. Yeah. Uh, they got Zettel there too. Who I guess coming out when Zettel was coming out, he like frame wise was pretty similar to Baylor uh, to, to um, Lynch. Uh, Lynch from Baylor. So yeah. maybe they slim him down and move him to edge. Maybe they add an extra. Uh, it, again, it's the same sort of thing that we said with Gibson, right? It'll be interesting to see what they do with him, right? Do they bulk him up and try and make him an anchor stalwart on the inside, or they kind of slim him down and say, okay, learn what you can from Daniel Hunter and 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 try and be the fast guy outside. I don't think he kind of has that athletic profile. I think you're right. I, I think three is probably – uh, a more reasonable target for him, but we'll see. It, it that's why the draft and and team fits and scheme fits and um, coaching and scouting evaluations of players is so interesting because we might see him one way and sure enough they they take him another way and and they're successful and we go oh okay I didn't I didn't see that but all right cool we're like ninety percent sure that Troy Dye is just Eric Kendricks in a mask right I, I think he is and and when I saw this pick I went oh yeah <laughs> like. There, there are a couple of picks, you know, especially down when you're getting a little bit rummy in round four and, you know, it's day three. And, <laughs> and they picked Troy Dye, and I was like, yeah, let's see, flexible movement skills, experienced starter, uh, tackles pretty well, is assignment side. Yeah, yeah, okay, same guy. <laughs> right, just reload, just put another one in the clip and keep going. Um, that's Troy Dye for them. Um, I don't know if you have thoughts about Harrison Hand. I watched him very briefly. Um, again, 
super physical, right. As, as many temple corners are, um, I just didn't get much of a feel off him either way, but again, they got him round five pick 24. And if you're talking about round five picks for Minnesota, the one that really got me was KJ Osborne because everybody had Jeff Thomas out of Miami, even though he had some trouble in his past uh, higher than KJ Osborne because he's so crazy quick. He's really, really fast. But on tape, when I watched Miami and largely I wasn't watching their offense, I was watching defenses against the Miami offense. To me, K.J. Osborne made more plays, and K.J. Osborne was either a borderline seventh-rounder on most charts or really on more charts, I think he was undrafted free agent. So when they picked him in the fifth, I was like, aha, like somebody sees the same thing I see, and that's always a bit gratifying. I actually like Osborne. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he could stick. He's going to have to play special teams as a fifth-round wide receiver. Um, But I think he can do that. He definitely has a mentality for it. So, um and then we got to get to our we got to get to our guy Kenny Willickus. Yeah, I, I do want to give one note on Harrison Hand. Mike Zimmer will not let you play nickel unless you tackle because they play a lot of nickel force. Yeah. Um, and if you can't tackle and play the run and, and kind of free up the defensive ends to shoot inside and freelance a little bit, like if you can't cover for the defensive ends making plays inside by being able to tackle in space outside, you will not get on the field. So I I think they took Hand because he's willing to tackle. I mean, he's got some some pretty good gifts. He's He's a four or five flat guy, but he jumped like 40 plus inches. He's really, really explosive in short areas and throw that with the kind of temple tough mantra. Um, he's, he's a Mike Zimmer kind of guy. And again, Mike Zimmer always loves projects. So just give him a tough kid with, with a little bit of movement skills and he's going to try to make him into a pretty good starting nickel. So I think that makes a lot of sense for them. Um, and, and again, the coup de grace for this, as you mentioned, Kenny Wilkes, I to this day have no idea why he went in the seventh round like absolutely none yeah i don't get it i he was he was never going to be a first round guy um kenny willick is defensive end michigan state slightly undersized uh, has a crazy stance has the flattest back stance i've ever seen from a defensive it's insane and plays with great leverage like he is so um picture perfect with technique coming off the ball stays low jacks uh, just everything arms inside his technique coming off the snap is great we got to talk to him three times at the senior bowl um and he was making the switch to stand up so that he'd have more versatility we asked him about that we said you know what's the what's the biggest thing and 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 sort of you know is there a plus or minus that you, you know is it hard for you he said well it's different but the thing that I that caught my ear that he said that I thought was really interesting was I think I actually might be faster once I figure it out because I don't have to stand up. I save a motion. Right. And we were like faster off the ball. Like you're pretty, pretty <laughs> quick off the ball. That's a yeah. scary thought. Um, he's a high effort guy. Right. A lot of people said they reminded him of Max Crosby came out of the same team. Um, I, you know, I, he reminds me less of Crosby just because of the length, but Super high effort guy, smart, gets a lot of his sacks that way just by working for him. But again, is knows his technique has to be good and strong, is willing to learn different systems, different alignments, um, different get offs to, to make himself a better football player. Incredibly flexible as an athlete, put out a little sort of pro day highlight tape of him doing like back handsprings and flips off walls. And I'm always a little wary of the pool jumpers from the Jerron Gilbert days. Bears fans will remember Jerron Gilbert famously jumped out of a pool and and Emery said, okay, that's it. I'll pick him. Um, 
Willikis is is not a pool jumper. He just happens to be a highly athletic, flexible guy, slightly undersized, big motor. Again, seventh round, you got to be kidding me. Like his production, his pedigree, his competition level, all that says pretty much no later than the fifth, unless there was something going on, injury, personality, something that I we don't know had about. An elbow or a bicep or something yeah he did wear a brace at michigan state um so it's possible that the injury pushed him but again seventh round you still just on sort of height weight speed and production like in a in a power conference i'm surprised that he went anywhere after the fifth again he was never going to threaten for second or third round that just wasn't no matter how good he was that wasn't his lot in life and he's totally fine with that he embraces that role as the underdog i think is a good way to put it the fact that he goes in the seventh and goes to a coach like Zimmer who appreciates a lot of what he has as a player. Um, uh, yeah, that's a, that's just as a Bears fan, that's tough, right? It's I'm happy for Kenny. He couldn't have landed in a better spot. Um, but boy, uh, that's a, that's an insane amount of value for what we know. Again, just having talked to the guy, watched him technique, production tape, all the things we have access to say, Kenny Willikins is much better than a seventh round player. And and every single tight end on the senior bowl could not block him in the run game. I mean, he he was killing tight ends, which is why this is actually kind of a fascinating division for him to go to, because I think Kenny Willickis versus T.J. Hawkinson in the run game is like must watch TV for me. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that makes me like a football nerd or whatever, because it's like, oh okay, this second oh, that's tight a, end. That's the reason you're a football nerd. <laughs> Kenny yeah. that, that one thing, everything else. Now we're throwing that out. It's the fact you want to watch Willikis versus Hawkinson. That makes you a football nerd. <laughs> it's fun, man. It's gonna be. I'm with fun. you. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a great battle. And any honestly, anybody he goes against, I want to watch because even if he gets his ass kicked, and he will. Um, a couple of times rookies do that's the way it goes when he goes up against some of the better tackles on the Vikings schedule he's going to get worked a couple of times but he's going to learn from that he's a tough kid he's not going to back down right and so I'm going to keep watching and see whether a guy like that improves because if you asked me to bet against him making the Vikings roster I wouldn't do it oh no he's making it yeah exactly you just he, that's he's thing. making like, a roster. question like so he, yeah, even if it's, it's not Minnesota, like he's making a team next year. Like, oh yeah, no, he's he's gonna be in the NFL. He's he's just one of those guys that's gonna hang around. He might never have a star turn in the NFL, and that's fine by him. And that's why he's gonna make it. Yeah, God, I love like he's such a good pick in the seventh round. Like I I can take or leave Nate Stanley. Uh, oh, I could leave <laughs> Nate Stanley. But if, if, if we're getting on somebody's draft, like again, watching uh, watching defenses against Iowa. was really difficult this year because Nate Stanley, who showed some promise last year and was on a lot of lists because of it in terms of, Hey, he's going to be, you know, draft eligible. Let's see what happens in his senior year. He did the other thing. He went downhill. He was brutal. Like I, my podcast co-host on bears over beers, JB, he's an Iowa fan, right? Grew up in Iowa, lives in Iowa, wanted to go play at Iowa. Didn't work out for him that way as a player, but big Hawkeyes, Hawkeyes first, right? Never say Cyclones with with JB. It's all Hawkeyes. And even he says, eh, yeah, nah. (laughs) Stanley's just, Stanley was bad, brutal bad throughout a lot of 19. And I think even hardcore hardcore Hawkeye fans like JB are like, yeah, you're right. He he wasn't great. I think, uh, (coughs) excuse me. I'm I'm trying to find the exact stat. Here we go. Hold on. I'm pulling it up right now just because it's, it's hilarious. 
Oh, you're going to um, drag him? <laughs> wow, there's multiple Stanley quarterbacks. Okay, Nate Stanley. Uh, his passer rating. Oh, God. I know what's coming. <laughs> under pressure. <laughs> yep. Ranks 181st oh, in college football. It was, and I think that might be high. In, in the pro scale, it was 46.4. That is unbelievable what is it if you throw the ball into the ground at every snap like if you higher than it, that <laughs> yeah i think it's like 52 one or something i like mean if, if you set spike every snap you get like a it's like 48 or 50 so it, it, <laughs> that's that's horrendous it's really really horrible i, I yeah i mean it's a seventh round pick so like honestly who cares but yeah they're I, all I just, they're all lottery chips Period. I, I just I wanted to I wanted to take my shot at people who had Nate Stanley like going in the third round and I'm like what? Like yeah, I, I had people arguing for Stanley anywhere in the top ten. I had some people who were probably admittedly Iowa homers because I can't think of another reason, or maybe they were Nate Stanley's family. That's possible. Um, who were saying that he was like top eight, and I was like, if there were only eight, I'm not sure he would be top eight. Yeah. I don't know. Will he make the team? I mean, his only competition's Sean Mannion and Jake Browning. So to be honest, if he if he is better than practice squad, I would be really surprised. In the modern NFL, if if Nate Stanley is better than practice squad, um, I would be very very surprised. He he can beat out Jake Browning. Maybe like I, again, his 2018 film. This is like this is like the budget. <laughs> this is like the budget beer version of uh, talking about love. Right, 2018 versus 19. Yeah. yeah. Right, 2018. Stanley like showed some promise. Like he he threw some decent balls. Maybe it's uh, I hate to say that as a Bears fan, but maybe it's the same argument as Mitch Trubisky. Right, they both had a decent 2018 and a not good 2019. So uh, just not, to, just to crap a, on the Packers because you're a Bears fan. You know what Jordan Love's passer rating under pressure was last year? Uh, I don't actually. 158th in the country. 58.8. Yeah, 19 was not kind to Love. If you really want to see what, what Love's capable of, there's a few plays in 19, but there's a ton of plays in 2018 that really go, oh, that's why, right? And you just had to decide as an evaluator, was it a true regression or was it that all his playmakers left and the coaching staff changed? Either argument is valid, doesn't matter. He's in the pros now. He's going to have to be a good quarterback for the Packers. If he is, great draft. If he's not, we talked about it earlier, not a great draft. Yeah, they're they're – they're banking on it. We'll see if it works out. Yep. Uh, I, I didn't have him in the first round of mock draft, but fingers crossed, I guess. Well, unless you're a Bears fan, in which case you're just laughing your way. Yeah, I'm head. telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm like two-faced on this one, right? The old Batman villain. I, half of me wants him to succeed as a draft analyst because I want all these guys to succeed, and that's genuine. And, you know, I, I don't think rooting for people to fail is, is just good practice. It just doesn't feel good. As a Bears fan, if the Packers go on to have a third good, high-quality quarterback in a row and basically extend that to, like, three decades, yeah, I'm flat-out pissed. <laughs> you just willed it into existence. I hope you realize that. Uh, you know, if I did, good for Jordan Love, but, uh, you know, uh, got to beat the best, I guess. <laughs> okay, uh, let's get out of here. We've been on for an hour and a half now. Again, people, we try. We, we do. Really we do. try. But we just have to get our jabs in at Nate Stanley. We can't go a show without it. So can you blame us? What can we say? We're Bears fans. What are we going to do? 
Uh, but anyway, that'll be it uh, for this episode. We do have an episode on UDFAs coming out after this one, probably like a day or two after. And then we're going to be picking up with the next division. Yep. Uh, we'll probably hit the AFC. Let's just go north first. We'll do AFC North next one. Because <laughs> they had some fascinating classes in there. And we get super to tasty division it. when you're talking draft. Like, yeah, super tasty division. Just saying that Bengals linebacking core. Ooh, oh, don't even out. get me started. Watch out. Don't get me started. We'll, we'll be waxing poetic about that probably early next week. So keep an eye out for the UDFA episode um, because that's EJ's favorite thing to talk about ever. And then we'll hit the AFC North early next week. So until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for drinking with us. And we'll see you later.